0: As I already mentioned, we're glad you're here. If you're visiting with us, we want you to certainly um, take opportunity, if you can, to now study God's Word with us. Uh, we're going to open the Bible and consider some passages. We're going to be uh, looking at our theme passage from 2 Timothy chapter 1, and that's where our context will uh, be uh, mainly focused this, evening, uh, this morning as we study together. Uh, when you were a child, way back when you were just a little baby, uh, what was one of the first lessons your parents wanted you to learn? If you're a parent, what's one of the first things you have to teach your children uh, in the world in which we live? And sometimes uh, it can be a rather daunting thing. I, I would consider if I was going to put on that list, I would think it might be the idea of sharing together. Uh, maybe you went too far. I don't know what's happening here. There we go. The little, the little girl sharing the app. That's what we want, isn't it? We want children to learn how to share. And that's one of those lessons sometimes that's difficult, yet we recognize as well that it is fundamental. So why is it important for us to learn to share? Uh, well, one reason I think that I would come to as a parent and then now a grandparent is because it doesn't come naturally. If you wait around for your kids to learn how to share, you're probably going to be waiting for a long time. The, the, w- children, for the most part, fight against the aspect of sharing. Uh, in fact, they don't really know that they want that toy until the other child has it, and then they want it with everything that they've got. Uh, and so you've got to really teach that lesson. But also we recognize on a societal level that if we never learn how to share, then we're not going to be able to get along and not going to be able to function. That it is fundamental to our ability to be able to live together as a society, that we learn to share with one another uh, but on a personal level as well I think because it's essential to having a fulfilled life if a person uh, doesn't learn to share then not only do they not, not going to be able to get along with other people but their life is not going to be very happy uh, not going to be a lot I think of things that fulfill them and that provide for them a, funda- a fundamental uh, happiness and contentment if they're not able to learn how the, imp- the importance of sharing On a spiritual level, how fundamental is it that we learn to share? Or the whole idea, the concept of sharing. It's fundamental to our life of Christ because that's the very basis on which our relationship to Christ exists. It is for the purpose of learning to share that Jesus came to the cross and that he died and resurrected from the dead. In fact, we might even say that that's the reason why we're here today. That we are here today because that sharing that fellowship exists. We share with God and we share with Christ. Many times we describe this aspect of sharing or fellowship on both a horizontal and a vertical level. That the Christian shares with God. He has fellowship with God and God approves of him and therefore God is willing to allow us to fellowship him because of the blood of his son. We have that relationship. But also we share with one another is a horizontal thing in the sense that we come from all different places and all different all different backgrounds. Um, and we, and yet we have something in common. We have fellowship. In First John chapter one verse three, John says, that which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. I mentioned this verse because it uses the word fellowship, and we're familiar with that particular word. And so we recognize that the idea of fellowship runs throughout the scriptures. The word that's used here uh, is the word kornoneo, which means to share. It means to have fellowship with God, a fellowship with another individual. It's described the aspect of partaking with someone in something on both a physical and a spiritual level. To distribute something to someone else that they need is to have fellowship or to share with that individual. So when we look at this word, we recognize that this comes up a whole lot in the scripture, particularly in the New Testament, the idea that we have fellowship with God, we have fellowship with one another. And we recognize that God wants us to uh, not only practice sharing and fellowship, but also to try to teach it to one another and to show its importance and recognize its importance in our relationship with God. And so sometimes we consider and teach about the things that we share together. There are even other English words that are translated from this very same original Greek word that give us this idea. We are to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered. It was a common faith that we share in the faith that we have with one another. That we share together in our period of worship. That worship itself is a sharing of the the blessings that God has given us and even of the activities so we fellowship one another in our worship together. We share in the blessings of God, the fruits of the Spirit, love and joy and peace. We share in salvation, we share in hope, we share in peace. Paul says that we are fellow citizens with the saints so we share in the citizenship of heaven. We share in in the physical blessings that God has given us. But there's, a, there's an element about sharing or at least something that we are called to share that doesn't get very much attention, I think, in our study of scriptures. We don't catalog it a lot among those things that we have in common and that we share and that's this aspect of suffering. In Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Now near the end of his ministry, and that's where this text you see chronologically falls, near the end of his ministry, the Apostle Paul wrote to the young evangelist Timothy and he called on Timothy to share with him in the sufferings of the gospel. Paul uses a different phrase here in the Greek when he talks about sharing the suffering. It's a compound phrase that literally means to suffer in the company of someone else. So if you look at the terminology itself what Paul's really saying to young Timothy is come and stand beside me and suffer with me. Now Timothy couldn't have done that physically because Paul, if we understand this correctly is writing from prison. He wasn't asking for Timothy to come and lock yourself in the cell with me. But that that the, the connotation of the word and the strength of the admonition to Timothy that you would suffer not only as I'd suffer but we would suffer together for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I ask ourselves the question, do do, do we partake or do we share in our sufferings for the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's easy for us to talk about sharing in our blessings and what God does for us in the positive sense. But do we share in the sufferings of Christ? And if we do, then what does that mean? I think what we recognize right off the bat is that though we might not talk about suffering a lot, in terms of our Christian life and discipleship. It was seldom ever missing from Paul's discussion about his life before God. There are very few times when Paul talked about not only his mission as an apostle, but maybe even more clearly his call to be a Christian in a general sense without talking about the fact that he was suffering. And that suffering was an integral part of that. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 16 he says, The Spirit Himself bears with us with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. So when Paul's describing the criteria by which we would see ourselves as the children of God, he mentions in that context Suffering. And 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. So Paul says you do these things that are, that are evidence that you are the children of God. And what are those things? Well, one of those things that he mentions clearly twice in this text is that you suffer and therefore, suffering for Christ, the tribulations of being a Christian, become trademarks, of, and certainly were in the first century, of those who were living right before God, who were the true children of God. Now we notice in this text that he says, we, that you share with me in the sufferings for the gospel. Now that phrase identifies here, that the hardship that Paul's talking about here, and sharing with Tim, that Timothy's to share with him, is is not all suffering. And there's a sense in which we have to understand that. If we all, if I ask you, how many of you have ever suffered in your life? How many would raise your hand? Have you ever suffered? Everybody in this room has suffered. So there's a sense in which, just like the air that we breathe, we all, suffer, we all share in that suffering. But is that what Paul's talking about here? Is he simply making a statement that's evident to all of us that we all suffer at times and therefore we hold this in common? I would say, suggests to you that he's talking about a specific kind of suffering. That he's calling calling on Timothy to share with him, not in just general suffering, but rather the suffering that has intention and purpose to it, and that is suffering, he says, for the gospel. So beyond the general human experience, there is intentional and chosen suffering. Now there's an interesting question. When's the last time you chose to suffer for anything? And that's precisely what Paul is talking about. The Apostle... Says, this, says for his own life that this suffering has taken on different forms. He speaks in his life about the times in which he's physically suffered when he's been shipwrecked and left for dead, when he's been beaten and physically abused. And he accounts that in his own life and he says, all of that happened because I preached the resurrection for the dead. So there was physical suffering associated with Paul's stand for the gospel. But there was also emotional suffering. He lists among the sufferings the aspect that he, you see, was betrayed by those that were closest to him. That he had individuals that left him when they should have stayed with him. That he was ridiculed and that he was scorned, made fun of. And so there's different kinds of suffering. Whether it's physical or whether it's emotional. Paul was at the time in which he was writing this letter experiencing both. He was physically in prison. No doubt denied some of the normal things of life because of where he was, being treated as a criminal, but he was also considered a criminal because he was in prison. And so there was the stigma attached to the aspect that he was the one who claimed to have the words of life and to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he was locked up. He was a prisoner. And so Paul writes to the young Timothy who sees all of that and knows all of that and says, do not be ashamed of my suffering do not set me aside or abandon the cause here because of what's happening to me. He takes it further than that he says, not only should you not abandon me because I'm suffering, but I want you to share in the suffering that I'm going through. I'm calling on you to experience it with me. Now that again brings us to this point that what Paul's talking about here is intentional. That it's chosen. Paul or Jesus, or any of those you see who have suffered for the cause who'd been persecuted could have chosen not to. And certainly we recognize that in the life of the early disciples and the apostles and Jesus himself. That the early church considered a privilege to suffer for Christ. That they could have said, oh no, wait a minute, I'm not going that far. I won't do that. But they found it a a privilege to suffer for the name of Christ. In fact, the suffering that they were going through, the persecution that they were under became a mark of discipleship. Now, I qualify that sometimes when I think about that and come to that conclusion from Scriptures that what I don't see in the Scriptures is I don't see the disciples in the first century intentionally put themselves in danger. They didn't run out in front of the bus so that they would get hurt so that everybody would pay attention to what was going on. They didn't highlight the cause by inflicting themselves with persecution. They didn't run blindly into trouble or stage a rebellion based upon the fact that others would oppose them and thereby highlight it. In fact, what we find in the first century are Christians who suffered quietly and certainly graciously in the face of great opposition. But they did that with firm resolve that God would reward them for it and as a true mark of their discipleship. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 41 after, the, after the, the religious leaders told Peter and John, don't preach anymore in the name, they locked them up. And they were out, after they came out of prison, it says, they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for His name. And then Paul later on wrote to the Philippians and he said, to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. The word granted there means bestowed upon as a gift. That's, way, that's an interesting way to think about persecution, isn't it? Sometimes we think about persecution as, well, this is something that I have to endure because it's sort of in the way and God can't really do anything about it because everybody who does what's right, there's always going to be opposition to it. Paul says, no, the suffering that you're going through, God gave that to you. That is a gift bestowed upon you that you would have the opportunity and the privilege to suffer for His name. I find that rather compelling perspective in which to look at my suffering. But it helps me somewhat to understand what we see in Colossians chapter 1. Paul makes what we might consider to be somewhat of a perplexing statement about suffering. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 24, he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now we notice there he says he's rejoicing in his afflictions and that certainly is... Countercultural enough to consider what it means to rejoice when you're suffering. But notice what he says here about their persecution or their suffering or his own. He says, you see, it is for you that I suffer. Paul was saying, I'm suffering for you, the cross and Christians. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm doing this. That's why I'm going through this. Now, he wasn't suffering instead of them, but he was suffering in their behalf. So that by doing what he was doing and being willing to suffer, they as well could hear the gospel. If Paul's unwilling to go through this, if he bows out and abandons the mission, then they don't hear the gospel. It's only when he's willing to suffer for them that they'll be able to understand what God wants them to do and maybe even be encouraged to do it themselves. So he says, what I'm doing here, I'm doing for the sake of his body, which is the church. It was not about Paul. It was not about his personality. It was not even just about the aspect of the message itself. It was about the ability of the message to get out and to be made known to others that Paul would suffer. Now I have to think we have to recognize that about ourselves. Sometimes uh, we we see our persecution around us, and maybe we suffer as for, for what we believe and for our faith, and uh, and we're really deceiving ourselves into thinking whether or not it's really for the sake of the gospel that we're suffering. You know, some brethren I think are opposed not because that they're teaching the truth, though they are maybe maybe teaching the truth. They're opposed because they're contentious because they're not very nice people and because they act in hateful ways and therefore people rise up against them and say no, no, wait a minute you can't do that and we think that in that context you see that we're really suffering for the cause of Christ because we're righteous and we may very well be suffering because we're not being righteous so to be careful about that you know sometimes people oppose us just because we're being people that ought to be opposed in terms of our attitude so Paul wasn't suffering because he had a contentious attitude or because he was a contentious person he had a message that needed to go out and for it to get out he was going to have to run through persecution and overcome obstacles. But then he goes on to say that his suffering fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Now how did my sufferings fill up the sufferings of Christ? You know, there's some. Uh, this phrase has often been the subject of some controversy and there's even, I think, Uh, some root of false doctrine that comes out of this. The Roman Catholic doctrine imagines that this is a reference to the sufferings of Christians in purgatory. What Paul's talking about is that Christians have to sort of make up what's lacking uh, in the sufferings of Christ on their behalf after they die by going to a place and suffering uh, suffering some more and maybe suffering for the cause of someone else as though somehow what Jesus did at Calvary wasn't enough or what Jesus experienced in his own life was not enough. That contradicts what Paul had just taught in Colossians chapter one and verse twenty, when he said uh, in verse twenty-two that G- that Jesus reconciled us uh, all things to Himself in the body of His flesh, uh, what Paul had already said is that what Jesus did was plenty enough to reconcile everybody to Christ, and what He did in the body of His flesh was sufficient. And so, what do the scriptures teach that? Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. I don't do anything in my suffering, my cause for Christ that makes it more uh, more appealing to God to forgive me. It doesn't make it. I'm not. I don't ingratiate myself to God because I'm willing to suffer, and therefore I pay for my sins by what the suffering that I go through. So, what does Paul mean when he says about his own sufferings that my sufferings fill up the sufferings of Christ? It would seem the best way maybe to understand this, at least the way I understand it, is that receiving the afflictions of Christ today is just that. That when I'm persecuted for the cause of Christ, I receive what Christ was to receive. And therefore, I'm getting what they wanted to give Him, but He's out of the way and so now they give it to me. But what's really involved here is they wanted to do this to Jesus. Did they want to do it to Jesus? They did it to Him over and over again. And when Jesus was out of the way, who would they do it to? Jesus at the right hand of God. He is no longer accessible in the flesh in any way to to suffer or to be persecuted. So what will Satan do? Will he bring suffering upon his children? Upon God's people? Upon you and I? so they want to do this to Jesus because he's out of reach so they come to me and they make me suffer because I espouse the doctrine of Christ now you see how that becomes intentional all I have to do to get out of that suffering is say hey wait a minute I'm not with him isn't that what Peter did looked over there and saw Jesus suffering and the question was will you suffer with me and so Peter was put to that very test will you share in my sufferings as he watched him being beat and the little girl says you're with him right I'm not with him I'm not with him. Did Peter suffer at that point? For the cause of Christ? Now he suffered. It says he wept bitterly. He suffered inwardly. But his suffering for the cause of Christ was not there because he intentionally decided not to do it. And through his denial of Jesus, you see, he believed himself possibly of being treated the same way Jesus was treated. Now that didn't last, did it? Later on, Peter stood up for Christ and was willing to be treated just like Jesus was treated because he decided to do so. This idea that what Paul's talking about here are the sufferings of Jesus that overflow to me I think are seen in other passages of Scripture. In Second Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 5 Paul says the sufferings of Christ which overflow to us. The word overflow there, the Holman Christian Standard Translation renders, the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, come over to us from Christ. You ever, you ever uh, use one of those new Coke dispensers in the restaurants where you can just choose whatever kind of the, you can mix them together, you just push a button, your drink comes out. I've had those kind of dispensers for a while, I guess. You push the little thing and it comes into your glass. You, you ever let your five-year-old do that? <laughs> or your 12-year-old even do that? No, why? Because they don't know when to stop, right? It's not that they might choose the wrong flavor. The real danger is they're going to hold that thing in and watch it just flow over the cup all over the floor. Because that's what's going to happen, you see. It's intended to go in the cup. But if it keeps coming, where's it going to go? There's no more room in the cup. It's going to overflow. So Satan's opposition, you see, is so intense. It's so, you see, unrelenting that evil and Satan would oppose God. That when they do all they can do to Jesus, it overflows to us. Now, what's that mean about Jesus' suffering? It means, you see, that suffering for the cause of Christ is connected intricately with his own mission and his own life and his own purpose Jesus' suffering culminated in his death. He could have stopped it at any point, but he did not. He chose to honor God through going all the way to death, even to the point of death. and therefore that overflows to me. Well, how far am I going to go? second Corinthians chapter four Galatians uh, chapter six verse seventeen Paul says, For I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ' But in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 Paul says that the treasure, the gospel message has been given, put in earthly vessels. That's human bodies. That God took the treasure and he put it in earthen vessels. Well for what purpose? He says so that the power would be seen in men, and in God and not in men. So that the power would be seen as coming from God and not from men. Now how does that work? Well these vessels you see were opposed. They were pressed on every side he says in verse 8. Yet Not crushed. They are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. In verse 10 he says, Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Now Paul was talking about his life as an apostle in that context. I think principle extends beyond just the commission to be an apostle to every Christian. But we can see it more vividly in the life of the apostles maybe than any place else. What was the mark that they wore that they were the disciple of Jesus? They were the apostle of Jesus Christ. Was it a cross around their neck, a piece of jewelry, a robe? A collar turned around the wrong way. Paul says we carry about in our body the dying of Jesus Christ. Over and over again people are looking at us and what are they seeing? They're seeing someone who's willing to go all the way to death for the cause that they believe in and for their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what they saw in Christ and that's what they see in his disciples. A willingness to go all the way to death. And so Paul says it that way. We're carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus so that when people see us, they see that Jesus is the one who can give life and provide life for them. Now that's fascinating to me. I think it's somewhat uh, somewhat compelling in terms of my own thinking about my life. How do you view your life in this godless society? In a world that opposes what is right on every turn and that we see more and more of that coming into our society. How do you view your life? Paul says... I carry about in my body the death of Jesus. I'm constantly being given over to death for Jesus' sake, and that's a good thing, that I'm willing to die for Jesus. Because when I'm willing to do that, they will see Christ more more clearly. So the willingness for me to share in the sufferings of Christ is an integral element of the mission to preach the gospel to the world. In fact, I would suggest to you that it is an inherent quality of those who truly preach the gospel that they would suffer, visibly suffer for others to see. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What's the aim of choosing to suffer for the cause of gospel, or the gospel? Because you have to choose whether or not you will or not. And certainly that will be more apparent, I believe, in the days that lay ahead for us even as Christians in this country than it has ever been before. At least that's my uh, looking ahead to that. It's going to be... Uh, the life of the Christian is going to be maybe even not only punctuated but maybe dominated by intentional suffering for the cause of Christ. Well, if I choose to do that, what's the purpose of that? Well, one is that suffering for the gospel brings us closer to Christ. That if I suffer with Him, if I stand beside Him and I take whatever they're going to give to Him is willing to be overflowed to me, that draws me closer to Him. I don't know if there's any place that that becomes more clear than Paul's writing in Philippians chapter 3. Again, writing near the end of his life. In Philippians chapter 3 verses 7-11, through he answers this question over and over again in the text. Why would you suffer? And it always comes out the aspect, I suffer for the cause of Christ, he says in verse 8, for the excellence of knowing Jesus. In verse 8 he says that I might gain Christ. In verse 9, that I might be found in Him. And then he says, having a righteousness through Him. In verse 10 he says, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering, being conformed to His death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. It's as if Paul was saying, if I don't suffer, I'm not really going to know Jesus. I'm not really going to have that intimate relationship unless I'm willing to suffer. That's through that suffering I come to know Him times in this passage he talks about gaining Christ as knowing Christ. And he uses the term in the original language in verse 8 and 10, the idea of knowing Christ. It doesn't just mean to intellectually know, but by its very meaning in the original language means to intuitively draw close to or to intimately be associated with. Now that's what we want, isn't it? You want to know Jesus more intimately? You want to have a real deep relationship with Christ. There are myriads of people out there that that's what they want. I would like to be really and dedicated to the cause of Christ, and I'd really like to know Jesus more and have a personal relationship with Him. That kind of phrase is thrown out all the time in religion. How do you get that? Through saying a sinner's prayer or through suffering? You see, that's what Paul says. Is that we need to prepare to suffer with him because that's the way we get to know him. I think about that in terms of the apostles. Did the, did the apostles really see Jesus suffer? We talk about the suffering that he went through there at the end of his life when he was scourged and beaten and then put on the cross. What the, With the exception of John the apostle, what the scriptures clearly teach is that all the rest of them ran off. The apostles see Jesus on the cross. They see his physical body hanging there. Were they witnesses of the crucifixion? The text would seem to indicate that they were not except for the apostle apostle John. All the rest of them didn't actually see the suffering of Jesus. But they saw it later, didn't they? When they went out into the world and preached the gospel and people wanted to kill them and beat them, hang them upside down, draw them asunder... When everything that they, the, 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 Satan and his minions wanted to do to Jesus, they were now doing to them. Now they understood who Jesus was. Now they had a relationship understanding what Jesus had done for him because suffering, the gospel, brings us closer to Christ. and I have to say, without reservation, there are Christians that are closer to God than I am simply because they have been willing to put themselves in the position of suffering more than me. It's not because they know more Scripture, though they may. It's not because they can quote more Scripture or they attend more worship services or they preach more sermons. It's because in their personal existence before God, when they're called upon to suffer, they say, yes, Jesus, I will suffer for you. And they experience that suffering. And therefore, because they suffer, they know Him. Suffering also is evidence that we belong to Jesus. Jesus says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Don't think this started with you. It started with me. Paul warned Timothy, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And if you are reviled for the name of Christ, blessed are you because the spirit and the glory of God rest upon you, Peter says. So the fact that you suffer is evidence that you belong to God because Jesus suffered. And any gospel that tries to eradicate or erase The necessity of suffering. To say that God wants you to be His child, so He can give you, He can make you not suffer. He can give you the Cadillac that you want, or put your house on the hill, or make it so that you have a lot of money in the bank. Any gospel that believes that teaches you that being a disciple of Jesus Christ is evidenced by prosperity in this life is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ says that a mark of discipleship is the absolute necessity of suffering for the cause of Christ. Suffering also benefits us because God has told us up front that there's a future reward if we suffer for Him. In Romans chapter 8, if indeed we suffer with Christ in order that we may also be glorified with Him, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Romans chapter 8, verse 17 and 18. And Paul says again, going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, for the momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison that we suffer. But in our suffering we recognize we can endure that because there is a great reward that comes as a result of that suffering. There's also in this that the suffering of God can result in the salvation of others. And in a sense we've already touched upon this to some extent in the idea that the value of suffering in a visible way is so that others will be encouraged to suffer as well. And Paul recognized that when he suffered, there were two ways people could go with that. There were, there, were, there were Christians who could say, I don't want to be like him. I don't want to be in prison. I'm ashamed of him. I don't have anything to do with him. And there are others who would say, if he can do that, I can do that. I will be willing to persevere because he is already persevering, And to be emboldened because there's suffering in the lives of others and Timothy I think Paul wanted Timothy to go in that direction to not be ashamed but rather to share in my suffering experience yourself be willing to go that path of suffering because you see it in my life and you think about that in your own life if we're always getting out of the suffering if we're always backing away really putting ourselves out there to sacrifice for Christ what are we teaching others? What are we teaching our children? and Those that may be called upon to suffer even more than I am called upon to suffer. If there's anything we need to prepare our children for in the society they will face in the future is the opposition to evil that can only be overcome by great intense desire to share in the sufferings of Christ. It's not a societal thing. It's connected with our relationship to Jesus. And what Paul brings out, I think, in terms of his own suffering in a very powerful way, is that when I choose to suffer for the gospel, I give attention to God's power in the face of my weakness. The perfect environment, scenario, of which people will see the glory and the power of God is when God puts me in a situation of weakness. When it's through my physical weakness and vulnerability that people can see my faith, then God gets the glory for all of that. In the same way that God would send... A military leader to fight thousands of people with three hundred men. And the same reason, for the same reason, God would tell His people march around the city of this, the walls of the city, seven times, and when you get around there, shout real loud, and the walls will fall down. There's no, there's no military strategy in that. There is not a single sign of physical power in what takes place when those things happen. But they happen that way, so that God gets the glory. So when you see a man being, you see, criminalized and punished and looked upon and scorned and made fun of and ridiculed and ultimately put to death on the cross, you see any power in that? Paul said in 2 Corinthians verse 13 that he, in him was displayed both the weakness and the power of the cross. There's a weakness to all of that. Because in the physical sense, someone who dies on the cross is a scandal. And God made it happen exactly that way. Not just that Jesus would die, but he would go even to the point of a death on the cross, says in Philippians. Because it was a scandalous. Easy to turn away from that. But that's the very place where God's power would be seen. Not that Jesus was taken advantage of, that not just that he died unjustly, but that in the whole scenario of that, Jesus could have stopped it at any time. And he did not. So Satan, you see, is frustrated by that. God sustains me and he triumphs in my behalf when I suffer for what is right. Satan simply doesn't have an answer for that. He wants that suffering to harm me. He wants that suffering to do something to me, to make it bad for me, maybe to get me to abandon my faith, maybe even to physically punish me and cause me pain. But God works it to my good. He flips that on its head, and He works it for my good. And certainly the record of the early church in the book of Acts points that out. Every time Satan tried to bring persecution upon his people, it resulted in the growth of God's people and the encouragement and the emboldenment of their faith. So the task of spreading the gospel today is not just about words that we speak, as integral and as important as they are, as imperative as we speak the right thing. It's also about the choices we are called to make each day as we face the opposition that's before us. If we capitulate, if we give in, if we compromise, if we rationalize away the teachings of Scripture to accommodate ourselves to our society... We will absolutely make that message without power. And we will fail. Teaching the gospel message is a sacrificial activity. And at times you see it is a painful activity to preach the gospel. Because it involves suffering for the cause of the gospel. So Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 10. passage pastor going to look at a little later. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake that They may also obtain salvation within Christ Jesus with eternal glory. See, Paul says, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm doing this. Because this is an integral part of preaching salvation to lost people. So you and I have a choice. It's intentional and it's purposeful. Will you suffer with Christ or will you not? Now, sometimes it doesn't come to us in those clear terms. Sometimes it comes calculus in the aspect of choosing between something that's convenient or something that seems rational or something that makes sense to us and something that doesn't. Sometimes it comes to the question of whether or not I'll stand with just a few people or I'm going to stand with everybody or I'm going to stand with my parents and those who come before me. i have rather make those choices sometimes in the context of a lot of different scenarios, but it once all boiled down to, from the standpoint of the cause of Jesus Christ, you either suffer with him or you do not. And Paul says, Timothy, suffer with me. That question applies to all of us. Jesus asked the question, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? If you are really one who's going to submit to me and I am truly your Lord, then you'll do whatever I tell you to do. Why would you not? And that's a good question. If not a Christian, we need for you to understand. That that question applies to you. You can't possibly claim a relationship to Jesus Christ without obeying what Jesus has given you to do. You must be willing to believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again. You must repent of your sins. Jesus says, "Or you will perish. You need to confess his name before others or Jesus will deny you before his Father in heaven. And you must be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Because that baptism is an appeal of your conscience to God for forgiveness. Will you respond? Can we help you be a Christian even this morning? Let's stand and say